Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's, really, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, great to see you all uh, physically in the flesh, as it were, having seen uh, a lot of you on, on Zoom in the past months. Yeah, I'm really grateful to God uh, for bringing me here and giving me the opportunity to continue to speak into your current preaching series, um, To the Ends of the Earth. And you know, one thing is that whenever I read the book of Acts, you know, I never cease to be amazed as to how God used the early church, how he used ordinary people like yourselves, like myself, how he used those people, not just to reach Jerusalem, but to go beyond to Judea, to Samaria, and ultimately to reach the ends of the earth, at least what they knew to be the ends of the earth at that time. And I kind of imagine, you know, being with those um, early disciples when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven and he gave them that mandate. He cast this big vision before them, you know, telling them that, you know, when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I kind of wonder if there was a bit of doubt in the minds of those early disciples about if and how they would be able to witness even in Jerusalem, not to talk about going beyond um, Jerusalem. But then the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. These men and women, they're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they begin to see the fulfillment of that great vision that Jesus cast before them. And I think it's interesting that, you know, as Luke writes the book of Acts, he doesn't just focus on the as it were, the spectacular, um, the, the miraculous, the salvations, you know, thousands of people coming to know Christ. You know, Luke also gives us a glimpse into what the church looked like in those early days. And I think that, you know, in doing this, you know, what Luke is doing is that he's kind of giving us a picture, a description of what a healthy, spirit-filled church should look like. He's given us a picture of the kind of church that will take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see that description in our text for today in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. So I'm just going to read from there now. And it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called, also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We give you praise and we give you glory, Lord. We just thank you, Father, for the wonderful time that we've um, spent in your presence, Lord, in worship. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, what an awesome God you are. And thank you, Father God, for reminding us that, you know, we can put our trust in you, that you look after us, you take care of us, Lord. And I just pray, Father, as we go into your word, Lord, I pray that you will open up 
these scriptures to us, Lord. Expand them in our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes of understanding. Let us know, Lord, the kind of church that you have called us to be, mighty God. And just, yeah, speak to us, Lord, we pray, from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see here is, you know, Luke, he paints a picture of what this early church looked like, uh, a church that was united. And I think the words he uses are very striking. He says, this was a church of one heart and one soul. And he's not referring just to a few of them. He says, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. So everybody, all of them, were of one heart and they were of one soul. And why is this important? You know, when you think about the diversity that existed in the early church, you know, we just have to go back to Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost and we see the group of people from different um, nations that were present in Jerusalem out of which these first disciples um, were called out from when Peter preached. You know, you can imagine that in that first church, in the early church, there were probably uh, wealthy people and there were people who were maybe not as wealthy. You know, we do read here that those who had sold what they had to provide for those who were in need. You know, some of them were probably uneducated and some were probably well-educated. Different age groups, men, women, you know, present in this church. But yet what we see is that, you know, things that would normally cause division and things which still cause division for us for, uh, in this day and age, they did not cause division um, amongst these people. You know, in spite of their differences, in spite of their diversity, we read that they were of one heart and one soul. And you know, when I look um, in this room this morning, you know, I see diversity, I see people from different nations, I see different age groups. And yet, you know, we have come together this morning as one body, and I believe that we have come together as people of one heart and of one soul. And core to this, you know, Luke points out, was that the number of those who believed. You know, core to this was the belief that this group of people had in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He was the one who brought them together. He was the one who bound them together. He was the one who made them of one heart and of one soul. You know, without Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit filling these early believers, there was no way that they could be of one heart and one soul. You know, as much as the world tries to to bring unity, we see that true unity can only come about through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's a coincidence that both here in Acts chapter four and earlier on in Acts chapter two, towards the end of Acts chapter two, where Luke gives another description of the early church, that these come after powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter two, um, you know, the day of Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost, read about how the church, how they were going about, you know, from house to house, breaking bread, they had all things in common. We have this sense of great unity amongst them. Then here in Acts chapter four, um, after they've met together, that prayer meeting, after the first bout of persecution, and then the room where they're praying, it shakes and they're all filled again with the Holy Spirit. And they go about preaching the word with all boldness. After these two powerful moves of the Holy Spirit, You know, Luke talks about the unity that was present in the early church. 
I think it's almost like Luke is highlighting to us that this kind of church community, this kind of unity can only come about through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that can transform lives in such a way that the things that would normally divide, that would cause friction, that those things will no longer you know, be at the forefront of our minds and he can come and bring about this transformational unity amongst people that normally would have nothing in common, nothing that would want to bring them and bind them together. So the Holy Spirit is the one that effectively makes us one body so that we can have one heart and one soul. And you see, Peter, I mean, Paul talks about the body as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he describes that the church is one body. We are one body in Christ. Now it's the Holy Spirit that will transform my life, transform your life, so that the things that you know, would cause us to rub against each other, those things will be of no consequence and we have this transformational unity that draws us and binds us together. And this unity itself is a gift of the Spirit. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse one to three, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the unity comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the unity of the Spirit. It's not a man-made unity. He didn't say, I urge you to, you know, to maintain your unity. No, it's to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift that he blesses his people with, this extraordinary unity. But at the same time, there is an effort on our part, something that we have to do, again, I believe, by the power of the Spirit, to have this eagerness to maintain that unity. You know, we have to work at maintaining that unity. And we see that eagerness to maintain the unity here amongst the people. Because this was not a people, a group of people that paid lip service to their unity. They didn't go around saying, oh, we love each other, we're, we're united. No, they didn't just pay lip service to it. You know, these people were truly united in the way they lived their lives. You know, we see that outworking of the unity in the genuine care that they had for each other. You know, there was no disconnect between what they professed to believe and the way they li actually lived their life. And the outcome of this was that we see that there was no needy person amongst them. You know, they had, we're told that they, um, nobody considered the things that belonged to him of his own, but they had everything in common. And those who had were happy to sell out of what they had, bring it to the apostles' feet, and share with those who were in need. And this was not some kind of imposed communism. You know, it wasn't like um, you know, back then in the Soviet Union where it was communism that was kind of imposed on the people, that everything you have doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the state, it belongs to all. No, it wasn't that. You know, these were the voluntary actions of people whose lives had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that would cause someone like Barnabas, the son of, the, the son of encouragement, to sell 
a piece of land and bring the entire proceeds to the apostles' feet and have that shared amongst those who are in need. You know, this is the power of God. This is the power of the Holy Spirit, the unity, the love, the care, the affection that only the Spirit can bring about. You know, in our life group um, earlier this week, um, we're, we're sharing something similar to this. And, you know, one of the ladies was sharing about how when she came to faith, she didn't have much. But then uh, she was part of a church. She didn't really want to go back home because um, her family were not Christian. She wanted to enjoy the fellowship, but she didn't have much. She was in need. But then what happened was time and time again, whenever a need came up, when rent needed to be paid, when bills needed to be paid, someone in the church would rise up and meet that need. And the interesting thing was that she never told them about it. She never said, oh, my rent is due. I have no money to pay rent. No, she never mentioned any of that to them. But what she saw was that people were just inspired by the Holy Spirit to bless her, to put maybe an envelope with money through her door whenever she was in a place of need. And I believe that that's, that's what church is about, that you know, we're, not, we're not so caught up in our own interests that our eyes are not open to see, to discern what's happening in the lives of my brother and life of my sister. You know, this is what true church community is. You know, a place where we love one another and a place where truly we care for each other. You know, it's a place where, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, where if one member suffers, everybody suffers together. If my brother or my sister is hurting, I feel that hurt as well. It's a place where if one member is honored, we all rejoice together. You know, I don't feel envy because my brother or my sister is honored or, you know, maybe prospering in a certain area of their life. Actually, I rejoice in it. I celebrate it because it's something that the whole body is being honored in. You know, like Paul says, you know, it would complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you, not, 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 let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, this is what church, family, being a body, being of one heart, one soul, this is what community is about. You know, the fact that I am of one mind, I'm not doing things from selfish ambition or conceit, that in humility I count everyone who is part of the body as more significant than myself. I don't look out for my own interests solely, but I'm looking out for the interests of every other person who is a, who is a member of the body. You know, church is a place where we care about each other more than we care about our possessions. It's a place where I hold on loosely to the things that people in the world hold on tightly to because actually what's more important is the relationship that I have with my brothers and my sisters. And because of that, I put everything I can into holding on to those relationships, into maintaining the body into maintaining the unity of those in those relationships. And I believe that when church, when our gatherings become like that, 
then that is a place where the gospel flourishes. You know, that is a place where we experience the power of the Holy Spirit at work. That's the kind of church community that can truly reach the ends of the earth. You know, verse 33, where, Paul, where um, sorry, Luke talks about saying, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It kind of stands out in that group of verses. Somehow, it doesn't really seem to fit in because he's talked about how they're united in love. There's the unity holding everything in common. Then there's this kind of break. Then he goes on to talking about how you know, they shared everything, those who were in need, those who had sold what they had to provide for those who were in need. But I believe that what Luke is trying to do here is show the connection between the church being of one heart and of one mind and the flourishing of the gospel itself. The fact that it's a church that is united, that's where the witness to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ can happen with great power. It's a church that is united, that is of one heart and one soul, that can experience the great grace that comes from our God. Almost like saying great unity leads to great power and that leads to great grace. So a healthy church, a united church, naturally becomes a conducive environment for the gospel and for the continued move of the Holy Spirit. So what is God, I think, saying um, to us today? I think he's saying that we are a Holy Spirit-filled people. We're here, we've come to Christ, we believe in him as Lord and Savior. We are filled with his Spirit. So the unity of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, is in this place, it is in this church. But at the same time, I think that God is saying we must be eager to maintain that unity. You know, let's not get complacent about maintaining that unity because the devil will do everything he can to break that unity. And then that ends up leaving a church that is weak, that is powerless. So we have to be on the front foot and say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever it takes to maintain the unity of the Spirit in this church. And, you know, what does that mean? It means that, um, like Paul says in Ephesians 4, it says, with all humility and gentleness. I do it with humility. I do it with gentleness. He says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know, I do it with patience. I am patient to my brother. I'm patient, you know, with my sister. We bear with each other in love. You know, some, some versions said that we have great forbearing because we are all human beings. We are not perfect. So we have to bear with one another and bear with our imperfections. You know, I, I'm not always going to get it right. I will do things that will upset you. You'll do things that will upset me. You'll do things that will upset each other. But Paul says that when those times happen, if you are walking in a manner that is worthy of your calling, we will bear with one another in love. You know, we're not going to allow, you know, these things that um, we should maybe be open-handed about, you know, these things that, I don't know, very often sometimes want to cause friction amongst us. We won't let those things cause friction because we'll bear with one another in patience, and in love. But then on the things that we should be closed-handed about, you know, the things that really matter, our core values, our core beliefs, we stand united in those things. And unity doesn't mean 
avoiding conflict. Because we will, we are different. We are all different. We think differently, you know, we, we, we act differently. So there will be times where we may do things that upset, discourage, disappoint people, and conflict can arise. But then what unity says is that we don't avoid conflict, but actually we have a healthy biblical way of dealing with conflict when it happens. Unity doesn't mean that we're always going to be in agreement, that we all do the same thing, think the same thing. That's not what unity is about. And I believe that actually unity doesn't flourish in conformity. Unity flourishes in diversity. Because that's when, you know, you have a gifting, I have a gifting, I have my background, I have things that I bring, you have things that you bring. And in the midst of all of that diversity, God brings about this wonderful unity that just brings something wonderful to the body. And that's why David would describe how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity and compare it to the anointing, to the oil of anointing that, you know, anointed the high priest, anointed Aaron. Because that's what unity brings. It brings such a, a great blessing to the church. And when people see that unity, they see something that they want to be a part of. It's not artificial. It's not imposed. It's something that is brought about by the Holy Spirit at work in each one of our lives. And that's something that people will want to be a part of. That's something that when I take the gospel out there and people see what is in here, they say, yes, I want to be part of this because this is true love. This is true unity. This is a group of people that really care about one another. You know, it's not conformity. If you've ever watched Star Trek, you'd um, heard of the Borg. And the whole idea about the Borg is that um, there's this one hive mind. And then when you become part of them, you get assimilated into, into the Borg, this great hive mind. No, that's not what unity is about. You know, you don't come to Christ and then get assimilated and begin to think and do everything alike. And, you know, we're all kind of linked together. No, that's not what it's about. It's about each of us in our diversity flourishing and bringing great, great unity into the body. You know, Paul says if every one was, a, was an heir, how do we see? Likewise, if we're all eyes, how would we smell? How would we walk? You know, imagine if you had a body and the whole body was just this one massive heir. It wouldn't, really, it wouldn't really get up to much. Yes, it would hear a lot, but it wouldn't see much and it wouldn't be able to go about much. You know, unity flourishes in diversity. And so I believe that God is saying to us this morning that we need to be united the unity is here, but we must be eager to maintain that unity. And then when people see that, they're going to see something profoundly different to what the world has to offer. Something that they're going to say, that I want to be a part of this. That's what healthy church looks like. A healthy church, a united church, one heart, one soul, that is engaged on a mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. When we read the book of Acts, you know, these things were not kind of written there for us to kind of, oh, wow, the early church was great, it was fantastic. No, these things were written to kind of encourage us and motivate us that this is what we can also be. We can actually do greater things than was done here by the early church. Just one final word, I um, just want to say that if anybody here who's maybe you're feeling bitter, you know, maybe you've been in a place, you've been upset, hurt, disappointed, and you just haven't been able to let go. 
And I just feel that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to your heart this morning so that you, know, you, you, you can let go. You know, we are imperfect people amongst imperfect people. And yeah, we need to be able to not allow these things to become a root of bitterness that takes deep root into our lives. Now let's let go of those things this morning. So if you've had an issue with a brother or a sister, can I encourage you today to go up to them and say, you know what, what binds us together? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is more than this thing that we've allowed to separate us and come back together again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and bless you, Lord, for this morning. Uh, We give you praise and we give you glory, mighty God. Thank you, Lord, for this timely reminder that we are your people, your body, and we have been called to be of one heart and of one soul, mighty God. And I just pray, Lord, that that is what we're going to see, Lord, amongst us. That's what we're going to see, Lord, in this church. You know, a church that reflects the unity that we see in the Trinity. You know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three, yet one. And I pray, Lord, that yes, in our diversity, Lord, we will still be one body. And I pray that we will just show the world out here, Lord, in Peterborough and even beyond, that this is what God can do. This is what the Holy Spirit can do amongst a people who have given themselves, opened themselves up to his move in their lives. So Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. And I just pray, Father, if there is anyone here, Lord, who has allowed a, a, a root of bitterness to develop in them, Lord, you know, has kind of separated them from the unity of the fellowship, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, will just be the beginning of something new. That Holy Spirit, you'll just uproot that root in their hearts, in their lives, Lord, and let your unity flourish, Lord. And as your people, I pray, we will be eager, eager, mighty God, on the front foot in maintaining that unity so that we can truly take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Great unity, great power, and great grace, Lord, in this fellowship, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.